Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. to that healing feeling. I'm Torsi and I created this podcast talking all things well-being, what makes us feel the absolute best in ourselves and how we overcome challenges and heal with positivity and strength. This week I had the pleasure of speaking to the wonderful Nick Butter. A running inspiration, Nick is the first person to have run a marathon in every country in the world, doing so in just 23 months. We take time to explore this once-in-a-lifetime challenge throughout this episode with focus on not only the physical element, but also the mental, logistical and financial challenges Nick additionally experienced. Nick explains how this challenge changed him on a personal level and how seeing the entire world massively shifted his perspective and preconceptions. We also speak about cold water swimming, Nick's charity, the 196 Foundation, career shifts, van life and future challenges coming up. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. This week on the podcast, I'm really excited to have a conversation with Nick Butter. Nick is the first person to run a marathon in every country in the world, and he did so in just 23 months. Um, so I'm really excited to talk to him all about this. So, Nick, thank you so much for coming on. No, thank you for having me on. It's uh, yeah, it'll be a pleasure. I've, I love talking about this, and I can't believe that it's been two years since I finished the trip and four years since I started it. Um, it feels like yesterday, really, um, because there's so many, well, that said, there's so many vivid memories. And there's also a lot of memories that fade because there's a lot of countries to try and remember. Yeah, no, I can imagine. It's actually, it's crazy. Like, I remember, um, I've been following you for actually years, Nick, because I remember seeing you, because when, what, it was it, you did, was the London Marathon a part of the challenge? Because I remember seeing you on TV talking about it, and me and my sister were like, this is actually crazy, like, <laughs> How is he doing this? Um, but was that part of the challenge in London Marathon? Uh, it depends when you saw me talking about it, I suppose, because um, obviously there's two years of planning and the, in within those two years, I was also doing some publicity for it. So it may yeah. have been before or it may have been during, but, cause, because I did, I did the London Marathon twice during the challenge because it's a good opportunity to get publicity. I think it might have been during, actually, because I think we were so... Yeah, I think we I think we were so impressed by it. I think it must have been during because I think you were saying okay. oh, I, I might be heading off to do the next one in a few days. And we were like, oh, my gosh, doing one is is enough. Yeah. When I the first the one I did in 2018 um, was it was the hottest ever London Marathon. And yeah. if that was the one. Yeah. Yeah. OK, because because I, um, I I remember running it in 
like I wore more layers than most people and was avoiding the sprinklers because I'd just come back from Africa. And so I was absolutely freezing and everybody else was baking. Yeah. To be like everybody else, like dripping in sweat, heading for the sprinklers. And I'm just like avoiding them like the plague because I was shivering at the start line because it was cold. Oh my goodness. That's crazy how your body can adapt. That's mental. Obviously, like there's so many things that I could talk to you about the challenge, but I just wanted to start by um, exploring how you got into this position, because obviously, I mean, I don't know if running was a big part of your life growing up, but how do you go from kind of running when you're younger to uh, to wanting to be able to do this challenge? Like, when did when did running come into your life? Yeah, so I suppose like with anything that you do, whether it's sport or whether it's music or whatever it is, there's like the there's the getting into it, and then there's the, there's the doing it for fun, and then there's doing something like this, which is it's obviously you've got to do it with intent and you've got to kind of follow through because it's such a long period of time. And I can't really stress that enough because the two years of getting to the start line were just as stressful as actually the two years doing it because you you don't want to put t- so much time and effort into something and then for it to, to not come off. Um, it's not like doing a, doing a planning a mission that's going to last a week or a day or you know like one race for example is that you know you can repeat that if you need to but this was a, a once in a lifetime shot so the answer to your question is um I've always loved to run um grew up in the countryside in in Dorset in south of England and I had a lot of friends and even my school was like 10 miles away from me. And so in in the countryside as well. So I would either cycle or run to and from school and then have friends of mine that they'd be like, oh yeah, do you want to come over? And I was like, yeah, okay, but I'm going to have to run there. So see you in an hour. Um, And so that that kind of thing. So I got a little bit of my base fitness from that. And then I was a skier, uh, joined the under 19 ski team for, uh, for a while and, that was my life like all of my mates from school will tell you I'm a skier not a runner because that's what I I was absolutely obsessed with um if I pick something up like that I kind of don't let it go until I've I've kind of ticked the boxes that I want to tick so um I'm now in the I suppose I'm now in the running bracket of my life (laughs) so obviously had that background I think similar with me I think when you kind of starts creating that from a young age it does just stick with you I have that with swimming as well because I did so much swimming when I was younger and I can cannot uh, swim for a long time and then it seems to just kind of come back to me it's funny isn't it how these things kind of stick with us from when we start yeah you might be able to give me you might be able to give me some tips then because uh I love to swim and like that's one of my one of my go-tos for a bit of peace when it isn't running obviously did you say you'd been getting into cold water swimming Mm. Yeah. That, yeah, exactly. So cold water is going to be a big part of next year and hopefully for the rest of my life. I've, and I've started it already. I did a bit of a, before the theatre tour got in the way, I was um, I was doing a lot of daily swim. Oh, that's not strictly true. I think the swim word is quite extreme. Dips in the sea yeah. in the cold. In and my- then, you know, I can stretch it to 10 seconds and then 20 seconds and then a couple of minutes. And um, But I'd like to be able to kind of embrace that because obviously it's so good for you. Um, and uh, it's just a nice way to wake up, isn't it? No, it's amazing. It's, it's something that I've done since going to Edinburgh. And though it's very similar, it's funny. I used to say, I'm going for a swim. And then I'd literally go in for like 10 seconds and be like, right, I'm done. <laughs> yeah exactly it doesn't really count as a swim does it no but too bad now I'm trying to stay in for kind of five ten minutes um yeah. but you That's know enough. but um no it's 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 good but no like I was just saying like I think these things kind of stick with us 
so you were skiing and then when did you start to kind of get more competitive into running because obviously you're a very 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 talented runner I don't know about that it's just one foot in front of the other um it's really not that um I uh so so yeah I guess the transition came from then having a real job I worked in finance and that was to pay the bills and to have a life and to basically the normal part of my my existence which was um amazing because it was what allowed me to do other things in the future but wasn't something that was happy in my soul and in my spirit I suppose and I didn't realize that for a long time and then I did and so I started to run at lunch times and before work after work at weekends and I was using running little did I know it wasn't active in this in my thought process but I was using it as therapy basically to kind of just get outside and and use use the opportunity of outdoors and then as, as you get better you enter races and after that you realize what you're good at what you're not good at what you enjoy if you're mentally strong in different areas if you enjoy running up hills if you all this sort of stuff and then it kind of from one thing to the next I then had opportunities to go out and race in different places um with some really great brands that were supporting and I had to say no because I was working and that's when I thought well you know is it an opportunity to say goodbye to this and that wasn't just a weekend kind of thought that was like a three-year period of shall I shall I stop my stable income good job something I've worked hard to get to to then go off and and it was a case of guaranteeing no stability or no income (laughs) because it wasn't going into oh shall I start a new business and you know you can grow that business and it becomes this great thing it just wasn't going to happen like that I knew that running you know, if you think about it, even if you say Bolton, you say Bolton, Mo Farah, or all the other brilliant runners out there, they don't actually get paid to run; they get sponsors, and that's how they earn yeah. the money and they do appearances. And so, even if you're amazing at running, you don't get paid to actually do the running. Um, and so, that was a big, a big stepping stone. And I had me to then meet other people and realize that there's bigger and better things to be done. And of course touching on I won't preach too much about it but then understanding of how important time is and uh, how it's very easy to take your entire life for granted and get to old age and go oh no I've actually not done what I what what I wanted Um, and so I have that kind of world view now of you know I'm so absurdly lucky and we all are Um, it was a chance to do what I loved and and then I suppose running the world was born because I wanted to raise some money for charity for my mate Kevin who had terminal prostate cancer uh, and it just kind of spiraled from there and had lots of great people like Mark Beaumont who I'm sure you've you've chatted to who he's obviously cycled around the world and he is basically I think five ten years ahead of me in the adventure world if you like and he's been acting as a like an unofficial mentor to me to be able to say well you can you know this is how you can make your life kind of sustainable you're not going to be driving Bentleys and building big houses but you can have a a good existence doing what you love and so um and so I thought yeah okay let's do that and yeah skip ahead a few years here I am we've got lots planned in the future and I'm enjoying it it's not straightforward it's never ever straightforward and there is no way of um no way of ever having that stability but I'm okay with that like simple living so yeah no I mean that's such an important takeaway that kind of idea of time being precious like I think it's so easy to become so concerned about 
such mundane things when actually like ultimately it's living each moment for what it is yeah and and living with trying to live with a bit of intent and with a bit of of kind of direction and desire with stuff because it's so easy I think we all do it we all go to sleep at night and wait and expect that the next day will happen and actually for some people and for literally the entire species that has existed before us like one day that day is the last day and so as morbid as it sounds it's you've only got a certain amount of days so do what you love in them as long as you're not hurting other people uh, then you know and ideally if you can help other people in the process then it gives you an extra kind of dimension to that that time um, which is what I'm trying to do so yeah we'll see we'll see how long my knees keep keep up for I suppose (laughs) yeah honestly I'm so impressed I am I've struggled with injury kind of my whole running career so I, these are the, this is the thing that I thought that's kind of if anything that's what what holds me back sometimes but how did you cope with that kind of physical demand of this challenge like that must have been pretty extensive <laughs> yeah yeah so the physical the physical element of the challenge was I would say is everything it was tough physically but not because of running because running, I got very much into my stride. And yes, of course, running three marathons in three different countries every week is going to be for nearly 100 weeks is is difficult on your body. Yeah. But it's like anything. If you get into it, then you get used to it. It's like, you know, like we're talking about sea swimming. If you go into a cold, you know, a cold ocean with with just your, your trunks or your bikini or your shorts or whatever, and you try and stay in for 10 minutes the first time no chance but if you do it all the time then it feels normal and natural and okay and that's exactly the same for the running bit the, the difficulty yeah. I had was with all of the nutrition the access to food the amount of sleep I was getting um, time zones different uh, safety concerns so I was always having to be on not on guard but just on watch so and then that meant that I was sleeping less maybe a little bit more stressed for a longer period because I was trying to make sure that the trip was a success you know it wasn't just a jolly around the world it was a we can't afford to not get to this place and this place and this place you know 196 of them um and so it was it was a big um like mental strain as much as it was physical feet wise and legs I definitely ended up uh I would say less fit than when I started because I kind of detrained myself because I was specifically trying to run slowly in order for my legs not to hurt because obviously you don't want to pick up an injury you don't want to get to one marathon from the end and get an injury that pulls your Achilles or something and means you literally or you you break something you can't you actually can't move forward Um, and so I was always trying to do that and so you know I realized that from the beginning that okay I'll try and do this one quickly or and I caught myself like, hang on a minute, Nick, you can't, you can't sprint up that hill, even if you're in a good mood and you're, uh, you're, you're happy in your little mind palace in yourself, but you can't, <laughs> you can't jeopardize the bigger mission. So yeah, physically though, um, you know, food poisonings and I was attacked a few times and kidney infections, there was huge dehydration. So things like peeing blood and oh like, all of that kind of stuff was pretty uh uncomfortable um but that was ultimately because of the trip not just the running yeah as well just just kind of moving on from the physical side of things I think when when you say it or if people kind of look at the challenge they think oh my goodness that's the physical side that must have been crazy but I guess as well like the kind of logistical like 
organizational financial side of it must have been so tricky as well like you were saying about kind of time zones and having to get to different places was that quite mentally challenging as well yeah the the logistical challenge of the trip was by far the hardest you know if the physical element was let's say a three or four out of ten on the on the difficult scale ten being very difficult I would say yeah the logistics was was a solid 10 out of 10 it was it was so difficult because you had you had things to organize that meant that it could be a showstopper every time and you have places like Iran or Yemen or Syria that aren't necessarily easy to get into and that had refused me visas and access multiple times yeah. and so you have to find a way to get in and make it possible um, and that's just three countries of which take months to get right and you don't really know what happens the day you arrive um, because it's that's the nature of the world that's the nature of the trip you know all the misadventures that happen are brilliant so um so the logistics if I could give you an example so passports were were a big thing so people most people have one or two passports um if you're dual nationality or something um I got through nine different passports and that was a combination of lots of different stamps in different places and so the passports fill up but also if I'm traveling around let's say in Europe and traveling with my passport then another passport or even two passports need to be circulating elsewhere around the world getting the various permits and visas and kind of approvals that they need to get me into places in the future because it, I can't just go right I'm going through every country let's get every visa and then go because they'll be expired and all that sort of stuff and frequently I'd end up in an airport and I'd think right what passport do I need have I got the right passport with me is it the right date because obviously things were constantly changing so we had 60 odd flights that were, were cancelled and so many times I'd look at it and go right this visa has expired but I'm here and I've just got to try it and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't and I have to go back and do it again and and it's not a case of you, know, you just go to the visa shop and you and you buy all your visas it's like Senegal for example was a, this is an easy one Senegal French speaking um in Africa if you want to get into Senegal then you need to have your visa for Senegal if I've been in Europe then I can't go to the visa office in Paris because that's where you need to go and get, get it done you can't get it done in Britain you have to go to Paris for it and so you have to send that off to get that done to then send it back to then get it in time to go to Senegal and that's the same for every country in different places so it's this huge maze of making sure that I just have the right documents at the right time um, and then of course the finances of when things don't go right and when you have to get you know I think I think it was Bangladesh I had a visa for there four different times and because of complications and visas expiring too soon I had to get four like four visas for the same place because I was I wasn't in the right place at the right time with the right passport so yeah logistics was was beyond difficult oh my gosh yeah it sounds sounds crazy and also like language barriers as well like that must have been quite impeding as well yeah, good. It's quite nice, though, um, because when you travel on your own, that's the benefit of traveling on your own is that you you are forced to try some of the languages and you feel a little, little bit less stupid trying them. And after a while, you just kind of get into the swing of things. And I speak a few enough words in enough languages now to get by most places. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's, it's amazing. I've been in I'm just the worst when it comes I try so hard with languages but it's 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 not something that comes naturally to me I was literally in Italy like a week ago and I just felt you just feel 
you try and speak in the language and then they literally just speak in English back to you. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> well, we're very lucky though, aren't we? Imagine if, you know, imagine if you are an Italian, like 70 year old that hasn't got any any English or anything else, then so much of the world, like I'm, I'm thinking more like educational resources or the internet in general, like most of it is geared English, then you're kind of screwed. Um, and so that's the same for, or Spanish, I suppose, or Mandarin, those big languages. But yeah, I was amazed, which I didn't know beforehand, which I'm sure many of your listeners will know, but in, in Africa, you've got obviously lots of different African dialects. You've got Creole, you've got... Um, you've got French, you've got all sorts of different languages, but you've also got Italian. Um, and Eritrea in Africa speaks like predominantly Italian. And it was the most bizarre thing to find a little corner of Africa that just speaks Italian um, and dresses and, and behaves just like you're in little mini Italy. So, wow. yeah, crazy. No, it must have been just so amazing as well, like, alongside kind of everything, like logistics and physical demands. Like just being able to see the entire world and see how diverse this space is like over those two years must have just been, it's been so eye-opening and perspective I, to see how diverse the world is because you've yes. just been seeing all of it in two yeah, years it's, <laughs> it's yeah exactly you see the diversity you also start to and it's kind of by default you immediately see your place in it I think it's a human trait that we all do that. We look at our place within the world that we have. Now, we live on a tiny little island that we forget is an island. And I've recently found out it's not as small as I thought. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash post. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, because it's a long way around the country. Um, but the rest of the world then, you've got mainland Europe, you've got Scandinavia, you've got the West. And the West is in this little bubble of just pure bliss where everything is aligned and you have this you know obviously the usual cliches of clean water and food in the fridge and all that sort of stuff and education but so much of the rest of the world operates in such a different way that I now have this trip completely and I'm not just exaggerating here completely changed my 
my personality because of that world view you have. Um, it's like watching, I don't know, an episode of Universe or something about the, the, the galaxies and things, and you kind of imagine what things are like. And most of us imagine what the rest of the world is like. But seeing every country and have been to, been to every place, you then have this little map in your mind and all of a sudden big air travel to Australia from Britain just feels like you're hopping on a bus and you can literally just get off and then you, you're there and you do your thing and you move on again. Yeah. And so the world becomes smaller, but you also have your perspectives massively changed and all of your preconceptions that you thought existed. Like every place I went to, there was something that I was just wildly wrong about assuming was, was the way that it worked. Um, and Africa specifically obviously it's got the most countries 54 countries within the continent of Africa and a lot of people there don't have a lot of stuff they don't have a lot of opportunity they don't have a lot of freedom and we have not only that freedom and opportunity but we have the means we have the you so many like people like yourselves and people like me that are talking about things and encouraging more people while most people out of the world they literally just want to survive and so it was a bit of a, a bittersweet acknowledgement because I talk about the world being this incredible place with so many amazing humanity of the people that have hosted me and helped me and organised runs and press conferences and have donated and have supported me. But the other side of it is that we have a not just the freedom and opportunity, but I think we have a responsibility to everybody else out there to not just help them, but also live the like an optimal life because so many people are trying to live their optimal lives and are quite happy with it but we just have a bigger opportunity and we don't we don't always grasp that so um it's made me I think with anybody that travels for a long time you start to become a bit more chilled and a bit more patient with stuff mm. but because of the the way that I did the trip I've become more impatient to do more um by ASAP because I just yeah. I just want to cram as much in as possible yeah it's like that urgency to live well isn't it yeah yeah, yeah no for sure I was just thinking about it last night because obviously we we're gonna have this conversation today um and yeah I just I just think it's just such an incredible thing to do and I was also just kind of looking into stuff you've done since so you've done you did a hundred marathons in a hundred days as well yeah <laughs> when was that was that after the challenge yeah, that was um, just after the first lockdown. Um, we had a few trips planned and a few challenges planned elsewhere in the world. And then COVID was kind of closing in on everywhere. And so I decided that running north to south of Italy would be a good idea. Um, <laughs> and, and having a really difficult finish date, which was Christmas Eve. So I had to finish on that date so that I could then enjoy Christmas. Oh um, and we did it we did exactly that um lots of hardships during it and discovered the whole of Italy you know from the right up in the Austrian border all the way down through the Dolomites and the mountains up you know running up Stelvio past in the snow then down past all the lakes and the, all of the main bits of Italy um and then right down to Sicily with uh, Mount Etna erupting at the end which was quite lovely and then uh and then yeah job done so 100 marathons in 100 days was a brutal but a good stepping stone to you know to future stuff oh my gosh do you have any challenges coming up like physical challenges coming up yeah so we've got a lot planned over the next few years I mean after we did Italy I've 
I did, you may have seen it, I ran around Britain. So that was, um, my plan there was to do 200 marathons in 100 days, two a day. Um, and I got injured several times and I did it. I ended up finishing in 128 days because of various different broken bones and things. But um, yeah, Britain, Britain was a beast, physically the most difficult thing I've ever done, um, running for 12 hours a day. Oh, by a million miles, yeah. it's it, Because it's 12 hours constantly every day, you have no time to look at your phone you have no time to do anything other than to sleep eat and run and running for 12 hours a day for four months every day is mentally brutal um because you don't have any any capacity but so that's um yes next year is uh i'm doing a little bit of a different challenge next year which is a um a fitness challenge over 50 weeks calling it fist in 50 and this is me trying to level up my my health my well-being my fitness my overarching kind of state of being we're talking about doing like ocean swimming and stuff trying to get some dips in the sea trying to meditate a bit more trying to explore proper overall health you know we talk about mental health we talk about all these things but at the end of next year I want to be able to lift more I want to be able to run quicker I want to be able to run further I want to be able to be at peace more you know all of those things and so that's that's another discussion because there's a lot happening with that but running wise I'm going to run uh, north to south of Malawi and that's going to happen in July so um, I love Malawi and we're helping calling it Malawi 700 so we're going to be helping running 700 miles north to south and helping hopefully having an impact on 700 lives in a positive way um and then i'm going to do a 24 7 track event at the end of the year so i'm going to run for a week solidly um on a track and see how many laps and how many miles i do i'm yeah a little bit apprehensive with that one because i running running for a week not not sleeping the plan is to no, the plan is just to carry on. Um, and oh sleep. my god. I know, and I don't know, I honestly don't know what my body will do. I might crumble instantly, or I might be the last few days and then have to have a few few hours kip. I don't know. But well, um yeah, I'm gonna give that a go. See how see what see what can be done. See, oh see if I can Yeah. Where are you gonna do that? Gloucester. And um, that's the plan. Um, and we're, we're I'm kind of designing it as a bit of a challenge, like a, a fitness challenge for myself, like a personal challenge, another running thing that I can get behind. And I love to have those hard things that feel impossible, but also to raise the money for or, and the awareness for my charity, the One Man Six Foundation. And so we're going to try and ask people to come along and run laps with me, but then they have to give like £1.96 every lap. So um, if they want to run 10 laps with me, then they've got to give like 20 quid. Um, and that's the kind of way of hopefully being able to promote the, the charity. Um, so there's that stuff. Uh, there's loads of other bits going on around the outside. We're literally just finishing building our gym for the, for the fitness challenge next year. Um, and then in future, future, we have something going on in 2024, which I can't talk about too much because it's top secret. Um, but I can say that it will be my biggest challenge ever i don't think like well i can't do any more than that um and then after that i have something planned in 2026 which is about and again all of this stuff seems like you have to think about it so far in advance because you you've got to plan it you've got to work out how you fund it work out what where what goes with it goes wrong what, what happens so 2026 is about circumnavigating uh the world um but running from the north pole via the south pole back to the north pole so like kind of going longitudinally around 
um, running all of the land and ideally rowing all of the oceans um, oh in the, in, the, in the way. So, um, yeah, well, let's wait and see. I've got lots of other <laughs> north to south and circumnavigations of different places coming up. Um, and yeah, what will be will be with those. But yeah, lots, lots, lots is happening. It's honestly incredible. I'll definitely if I'm if I'm like kind of near there, I'll definitely come and do a few laps. Um, Please do, yeah. No, definitely, I will. And I wanted to. I did. I did see that you'd um, founded that charity. I, I wanted to talk to you about that because I think it's so amazing when we can do these personal kind of individual challenges, but really have a collective impact. Yes. So, like for me, like that was that really kind of shone out to me because that's something that I really have loved being able to do with kind of bring people together in a positive way for themselves yeah. and also kind of extending that beyond to people uh, kind of beyond um so what what inspired you to um say so the 196 foundation was was put together out of my i suppose a little bit of a, a crisis of conscience of traveling around the world and feeling like i'm spending all this money trying to do this thing to raise the money for prostate cancer uk yeah. but then realizing that a lot of the world could do with a leg up you know i'm not talking about huge big things in the future yes but initially just what can we do to help mm. and so i set up the charity with the basis of asking people to donate tiny amounts of money so one pound 96 a month you can't give us any more you can't give us any less it has to be that that amount and then that goes into a central pot like a piggy bank basically oh, oh yes pops <laughs> and then and then what we do is then deliver one project with those funds that we have available every year. And that can be any project anywhere in the world. So it could be like a next door neighbor that needs a, an expensive wheelchair. It could be um, building a school in Kenya. It could be a disabled boxing gym in Hackney. It could be the homeless in London. It could be anything anywhere. But it has to be very like cleverly organized to maximize the benefit. And the thing I'm most proud about is that it's a democratic, we call it democratic donorship model, whereby people that, that donate have a vote on who we help, um, which I'm most proud of. So every year we ask, in every April, we ask the donors to vote on who we help, and then we deliver the project um, within that year. So um, it's exciting, and it means that long-term, I can work on it all my life. Um, oh, yes, okay, Poppy. I think she needs a wee. Um, I will, um, I can carry on chatting. Um, I just might need to take her out. Well, yeah, okay. go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think that, I think that's so great. And that's like, like you say, £1.96 a month. Like, that's a coffee, you know? And like, if that can go towards yeah. helping someone else who needs it, I mean, that's just amazing. I love that. Um, yeah, that's what I think. I think it's very easy to help in that way. And, you know, you can just put in your money, you know, it's what? like less than 24 pounds a year i hope that people get behind it in my lifetime if i can get one percent of the british public donating then i'll feel absolutely over the moon i mean that's a big big target um but if it's if one percent is is like it will equate to over a million pounds a month and that money can literally change so many people's lives um so and it's and it, like you say it's just from the cost of a coffee so yeah exactly and it does yeah it does just makes such a difference and it kind of links back to what you're saying earlier about ultimately we are so privileged and I think sometimes it does I get into that kind of state of mind where I feel awful about how privileged I am but actually it's yeah. it's using that in the most positive way you can isn't it like it's acknowledging what we have and how we can how we can live such full lives from that being able to direct the the money that we have towards these different projects and like what you're doing now talking with me about it is, is one of those things you know 
uh, because it's sharing sharing what what people can do to help no exactly um I also just wanted to quickly talk to you about um kind of your van life living so do you are, yeah. you, are you just are you living are you just living in your van at the moment yeah, yeah, I literally just got out of the van to take coffee for a wee while we're talking. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's um, yeah, it's it's an amazing life. And again, that came from me knowing that I was going to do some speaking and some touring when I came back from the trip. But also, it was born out of not wanting to say goodbye to the the travelling kind of freedom lifestyle of being able to be anywhere. Yeah. Um, and so that's why. I, yeah, but I love it. I've been I've been in the van now two years. So wow. Great. That's yeah. amazing. To quickly touch on um, your talks and your book that you've brought out, are they yeah. kind of linked in the sense that are you touring with the book or are you doing more of kind of a focus, yeah. different star? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, for, well, it's all of the stories and bits of stuff that I talk about in the tour are the content of the book. So, mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I, I, I will. I have been for many months now very in, you know, in, intensely all over the country talking and we're talking about having um, some European dates in the new year and we still have loads of other theatres in, in Britain next year and that's a, a three-hour talk in theatres so hour and a half in the one hour in the first half and then a little bit of a break and then a, an hour in the second half and then some questions um, and it's all about the journey it's about what I learned it's all those kind of things and then the book obviously captures the whole story um, yeah running the world is literally changed me so I think it's worth talking about and obviously I'm still talking about it all these years later yeah no it's 100% worth talking about I think it will be amazing people to learn about it um amazing oh Nick thank you so much for for coming on and ha- talking about all of this it's been really really great um oh, thank you for having me I just have my three questions to finish off the first question is what is something you do each day to feel your best so I well other than getting in sea when I can because that is my big wake up call in the mornings, like having a very, very cold shower, as you know. Um, and so, so that is definitely one to get my body in the, in the right space. But mind wise, uh, I write the diary every day. And that is a some days it will just be like had a crappy day and that will be my entry. And I don't want to talk about anything. I don't want to write anything. And other days it will be like a nice, long, meandering like yeah this is who I ran with this is who I met this is how I feel this is x y and z and that's a just a good way to reflect and start to be a little bit grateful for what I've had so I think that's I think that's the answer to that a little bit of cold water swimming slash dipping in the sea with, with writing a diary <laughs> those are literally the same as me I I either try and get in the sea or some kind cold body of water there's a, yeah. there's, a there's a reservoir near Edinburgh that I actually was I was training. Oh, nice. for, I was training for a ten kilometer swim, and I was going when it was about four or five degrees, and it was absolutely freezing. So that you was. Swim, you swim ten kilometers in four or five degrees. Well, no, I wasn't swimming ten kilometers then. I was managing about three, and then coming out and shutting down. It's pretty impressive, though. <laughs> uh, I'd love to I mean, to it was. Um, yeah, it was. It was <clears throat> the training for that was something, um, but. Or yeah, cold water shower and um, cold shower. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, I was just going to say as well, like journaling for me, that's like my main kind of mental health maintenance tool is journaling for me as well. So no, I definitely resonate with both of those. Um, I like that. Yeah, I think more people, if more people did a little bit of a diary like that, even if they weren't very strict with themselves, it does it does open up um, 
like you say, mental health maintenance. I like that phrase. Yeah. Uh, and also, like you say, like you don't have to write much. I think it's just having that practice of doing it each day. Like you can literally say like, oh, like, yeah, yeah you can just do a line or two, but then it offers that space to potentially write more if you feel like it comes up. Um, yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. I write a set. I write a, a separate running diary as well, which is specifically for all my running miles and times, and like by hand as well. Not I used to have oh it on a, a laptop, but by hand is so much nicer because you can look oh, back yeah. all through the page. Uh, yeah, yeah, so much nicer. That must be a pretty full diary, though. By this, <laughs> well, loads of loads of books that I just full. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, amazing. So, second question is: Do you have? a goal or a way you want to grow over the next year I mean obviously we've spoken about some of the challenges coming up but is there kind of I mean as, as well I guess this kind of links to that kind of personal growth element you were talking about earlier yeah yeah so I mean next year out of all of them it's going to be very different because if the 50 challenge the 50 weeks that I have we're going to be loads loads of um, benchmarking tests loads of data monitoring I'm going to be 3d body mapping all sorts of different stuff and bloods every month and I'm going to be focusing on a, a specific goal that isn't running to a place or to a distance which is going to be the first for a long time for me yeah that we'll actually put something else before running which is about the overall health thing so um yeah next, i mean it's a perfect question because next year is is exactly that like super focused on and also not just my fitness and my health but doing it in a way that is real and being able to share it through social media and I don't want it just to be a, a you know like a pretty before and after picture. I want people to see the the nitty gritty of what it takes to to actually transform your health and how it's not going to be a straightforward journey. Um, oh, absolutely, so, yeah. Yeah. no, that's really exciting. I think this as well, like you say, like I think so often we see on kind of social media like these before and after things, but that kind of it kind of displaces that journey in between, which is obviously the the main aspects of it right it's so important yeah it's so important because that's where all the learning where all of the like overcoming all the resilience all of the just educating yourself comes from so yeah it's that's important 100 no it's very exciting so final question is do you have a quote um that you use for positivity or a quote so, you want to share. <laughs> yeah, so there's, uh, I mean, there's loads of different quotes, but I, 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 I like the, I like the phrase, "Don't count the days, make the days count," which is obviously now, you know, on my social channels, I'm always talking about what day of the challenge I'm on or that kind of thing. But I'm mentally always thinking about whether I've made that day count, and when I go to bed at night, desperately not wanting to think, "Oh, actually, I could have done more there, or I wish I'd done that." It was, you know, trying to get rid of any of those regrets or those kind of thoughts. So, um, yeah, don't don't count the days, make the days count. Um, I think is super super important. There's a, a number which is twenty nine thousand seven hundred and forty seven, which is the average amount of days a human being lives for. And if you add up how many days you've already had and how many you've got left, and then you take away all the time you spend in traffic or watching telly or all that kind of stuff, you realise yeah. that time is so much more precious than you think. So so oh I think, yeah, I think time, I think, yeah, don't, don't count the days, make the days count is, is my answer, I think. Yeah, and it just draws back to um, what you were saying earlier, which is just living with intent as well, isn't it? Like that is yeah. ultimately what it is. Exactly. Yeah, Amazing. absolutely. Oh, Nick, thank you so much for coming on. It's been so great to talk to you about everything. No. Really thank you for having me. Well, we hope hopefully we can get some running or swimming in at some point. Um, I'm now I'm really, really grateful for having me on and hopefully people will follow my various different journeys and read the book and we've got a documentary coming out next year as well. So oh, wow. um, yeah, lots of good stuff. No, definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you.
thank Nick so much for coming onto the podcast to share his story. And thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you have an amazing day from wherever you are listening.